Platform Comics Podcast. My name is Tucker. I got a really nice interview today with Lon Pitts, but before I get to that, I did want to talk a little bit about the 10K Challenge, which has officially launched. It's live. You can check it out at platformcomics.com. So what is the 10K Challenge? Essentially, comic creators have 10,000 minutes, which uh, equals about seven days. We are going to sign you a theme and a line of dialogue that needs to be used in your comic. This is uh, for two different purposes. One is just to make it fun, to kind of challenge you to, uh, you know, work within certain boundaries. And the other thing is just to make sure people don't, you know, make the comic ahead of time because they don't know what their theme is going to be. So, you know, they can't just like cheat and do it ahead of time. When I started Platform, I wanted to do a big competition in the fall, which was the short comic competition, and then another one in the spring, which would be something like this. I didn't know exactly the details, but those were going to be the big two things, and then we were going to do a lot of smaller things, like we did the Artist Dash, which was a little mini 24-hour art competition. I want to do a Writer Dash as well, things like that. I wanted to do tutorial videos. We have the Anatomy of a Page video series where we have comic creators walk you through a scene from their comic and talk to you about why they made the decisions they made in that scene. We also have like this podcast and all of the auxiliary stuff was supposed to be free, but the big competitions we were going to charge a fee for, and that was sort of kind of the business model. But when the springtime came and I had all the 10K stuff ready to go, the COVID-19 situation happened and I said, okay, I should probably wait. And then it just turned out to get worse and worse. And so I didn't know what to do because I didn't really want to charge money because this is obviously a very hard time for people financially. And, you know, if you're financially strapped right now, it's probably pretty irresponsible of you to be spending money on an internet competition. And it would also just be a little insensitive. So I was just going to kind of postpone it, but I do want to keep the spring and the fall competitions concept. So I just decided to make it free. So it's completely free for anybody to enroll. Um, so we got some great sponsors who are helping out with the prizes. Uh, Scout Comics is giving out gift cards to the winner and runner-up. They're also going to be uh, giving feedback from uh, the publisher perspective, which I think is always important for an amateur creator to hear what a publisher has to say about their work and what their strengths are and where their weaknesses are and where they need to put a little more work. Uh, we also have AIPT Comics, Adventures in Portes. They were a sponsor on our short comic competition and they are back again. They're going to be publishing a review of the winner and runner-up. So your comic will be reviewed on their website if you are the winner or runner-up. I am talking to a few other people about being judges and sponsors. So everything that's on the website now will be the minimum, but there will almost certainly be, I don't want to spoil anything, but some other sponsors and judges as well. So that said, one of the judges that is locked in is Lon Pitts. I spoke with him and we talked about his career reviewing and talking about comics and interviewing comic creators. And he's been writing for Newsarama since 2008. And he's seen a lot of industry changes over that time. He's seen new creators rise, new publishing companies come to fruition. So we talk about that, how the industry has changed in his time. We talk about what it's like to review comics and what he's thinking about while reviewing a comic and what he thinks makes a good review and a bad review. And I think that's important. If you're making comics, you kind of want to know who are the critics and what are they thinking when they read your comic. He's also written comics and he talks about the knowledge he gains from talking to some of the most you know, world-renowned creators and how he takes their advice and their process and adapts it to his own his own writing techniques. He really loves comics. It's very clear hearing him talk about, you know, how much he respects creators. We also talk a little bit about wrestling. There's this Venn diagram of people who like comics and wrestling. I am not in that Venn diagram, but uh, he is, and he's very passionate about that too. And we talk about kind of that bridge of 
how these two things are similar and they kind of appeal to the same senses. So if you're a wrestling fan, we got a little something for you. So yeah, this is my interview with Lon Pitts. He is uh, going to be a judge in our competition and I'm very excited to have him. So here it is. Your like main body of work, I gather, is is reviewing and writing kind of like about comics and entertainment. Yeah. But you've also written some comics. So I guess my question is, was writing comics and writing like narrative stuff, was that always your goal or is that something that came along after? Oh, yeah. Like a thousand percent. That was and not to knock what I do now. But yeah, that was definitely sort of a way to basically get noticed, get uh, recognized get bylines in, you know, actually hone the craft as well. But it was always, you know, eventually I'm going to jump into, you know, creative. Definitely going to be the first person to do that. I mean, you know, Andy Corey, uh, editor of DC, Chris Sim, also sort of situation. So, yeah, it's it's definitely, I, I hate the word stepping stone, uh, but it was definitely a platform and a job to help me start on that particular destination I wanted to get to. I know people who sort of work, and I actually did this as well. I worked like in advertising for a while. And I know people who kind of work in the peripheries of the thing they want to do. And sometimes it's kind of hard because you say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write that thing someday. I'm going to make that movie someday. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Right. It, is that something that you dealt with where because you you were kind of sort of working around it, you never like really dove in and like took the risk and really went for it. Well, I mean, I went, I went to college for film and theater, so you know, I, I have a I have a theater degree that I did nothing with, but that was always going to be the main goal. First, I wanted to be an actor somehow. Yeah, it, it was always sort of you know, I'm going to make a movie, I'm going to make a comic, and you know, multiple attempts were tried just with friends, and then you know. And and so, did you always want to write about? comic books or was it more like film and entertainment and or were you always a big comic book person oh yeah uh i mean i i learned to read basically by getting the mini comics from the masters of the universe figures or the you know kinder superpowers team so that that was sort of instilled into my dna you know i i thought about movie critics and theater critics and stuff like that and i really loved you know going to the movies with buddies of mine and then us dissecting it and everything and then you know that's what i did in college so it became more of well this is no longer fun for me this is <laughs> this is what i have to do for school so comics were always like an escapism i yeah i i didn't always follow what was going on you know monthly but you know through wizard i sort of got the gist of situations and then you know, discovered new books from there. It's definitely always been in the back of my mind of what I wanted to do, whether or not it was talking about comics. I wanted to be involved in that community, in that world fairly early in life. And how did you get started doing that? Was there like somebody offering you to do something or did you self-start it? I, I, uh, I, I asked. It was a friend of mine by the name of Joe Wolf who did it. And he was working at Newsarama and... I was like, hey, how do you do this? And he's like, oh, I'll just put you in contact. And then I did a few samples. And that was, God, 2008. I, it was basically just here. You you can do this now. I'm like, okay, cool. Great. How was it different from what did you expected like i mean because you said oh it seems like so much fun reading you know wizard magazine oh yeah it's still a, i mean it's still very much a job uh but talking to creators didn't come till like a long while later getting to know them and their creative process 
I, I think when it actually started, you know, when I would get notes back, yeah, it, it definitely became harder and harder to find, you know, things to talk about and make sure things are getting covered. And and you got like an editor telling you when you when you suck. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're good at that. So you have been kind of in the world of comic books professionally in some form since like 2008. I mean, uh, I'm assuming you've seen some changes in the industry. What would be um, some of the big things you've noticed over the decade? Um, how creators are treated, especially now, um, with, you know, MCU coming around and everything like that, how, you know, no one, you know, it was always weird when you could just walk up to Chris Claremont at some point and be like, Hey, I want to talk to you for like 15, 20 minutes. Now it's just not so much. I don't know. I, I, I tabled once next to Liefeld, uh, at C2E2 like three years ago. And it was nonstop. Uh, I was just talking to Tom McFarlane about that. Actually, all the image founders, you know, Larson, Silvestri, Liefeld, uh, Jim Lee, were all kind of treated like rock stars, especially when books would drop. Isotope and was it Golden Apple Comics? You know, they'd have these huge, huge events. And I think books, you know, should have more uh, events treated like that. I, I feel like, you know, they should be revered because they're creating modern mythology. Also, I guess the big transition from physical to digital, a lot of people more doing that. And so the art market has changed and I'm a big art collector uh, over the past, uh, I would say God, six years or so for sure. Prices have astronomically risen for uh, people across the board. Yeah, I guess it's, uh, that I'm a very pro pro technology and pro digital person, but I guess that is a downside is that you can't really sell that art. It, doesn't, it loses its specialness if there's unlimited copies of it. Not really, because uh, there's ways uh, about doing that. Uh, Mikhail Yannon, he's digital, and he sells pages. Uh, they just changed the way how it's done. Just instead of, you know, page, it's an artist proof. And it's a one of one. There's a whole sort of ritual and way to go about selling. Uh, Christian Ward's another one. Christian Ward's a digital artist who did, uh, you know, Odyssey and Black Bolt, but he still sells his pages. Uh, Roger, Roger Dudeman, God, he was on Thor and X-Men, still sells pages and proofs. It's the stigma behind it, I think, that's really been the sort of thing like, oh, well, you just drew this on a computer. Uh, no, I drew this with my hand. It, it's... It's very interesting to see how people throw their nose at this when it's still art regardless. It's still a creation from the mind, from the hand, you know, to the screen. It's just a different sort of means to go about it. But I mean, if anything, that's a benefit for people who draw traditionally. You know, it's one more reason to not, you know, transition over. Like, you know, people will value, at least maybe not not everybody, but maybe some people will. And you can maybe make supplemental income doing that absolutely you know a lot of people just start doing more traditional commissions instead of just selling their pages they can still make a lot more money that way switching gears a little bit um i know a big thing for people making their first comics is getting reviewed and um getting you know critics to read their stuff you know they send in their comic to whoever and then they just don't know what happens so Walk me through how you get a comic and how you process it, how you read it. Are you thinking about the review while you're reading it or are you just like enjoying it? That was the problem. Reviewing comics for like a living and for work, you can't help but being like off the clock on things. So even if I wasn't, you know, assigned a comic to review or it all became work after a while. And that's that's sort of what became like the bummer situation of like I couldn't enjoy shit. 
so I'd get burned out and eventually come back uh, and start all over. But now, uh, when I when I actually have to review something, which I I don't do a lot now, and I'm I'm almost thankful for it in the long run of just like I want to enjoy the medium. When I when I when I did review, yeah, it was a it was an active process, especially for like a year and some change. DC had this editorial mandate where all comics had to begin with a splash page. So you you can definitely tell what was mandated uh, and what was, you know, the team itself. So trying to differentiate between that was difficult. You know, what I liked about it, what was, but also what wasn't working. That's always, I think, the big, the big thing about criticism as a whole. And we're still having problems and issues with YouTube critics and YouTubers as a whole saying, well, this is why this sucks. Well, that's why you say it sucks. But what you're trying to say is why you don't like it. Because there's two different things of why you don't like something and why it's just bad in general. Because there are comics and there are films and there are bits of media that are just bad. <laughs> there's there's no, you know, on a constructual and foundation, you know, at the foundation of them, in their bones, it's bad. It, it, it boils down to what works in the context of this single issue. And then are you comparing it to the last issue that may be a different arc? It's a whole different sort of situation if you have to look at this one single issue compared to a whole sort of structural arc. Because one issue, it's sort of like reviewing a episode of a TV show or, you know, uh, because it's, it's different than a movie. A movie is, for the most part, self-contained. Comics, for the most part, are not. They are serialized. Taking that into consideration, it's a completely different mindset in what I think a person needs to have and understand the basis of what works and doesn't work in a comic. And, you know, springboarding from what you were talking about earlier of no one, you know, no one really understands the lettering, no one understands the coloring. No one talks about that in comics criticism for the most part either. And it's a big downer because you can definitely talk about the differences of colorists between uh, Laura Martin, obviously, and what she does, uh, what she might do over a Cully Hamner piece instead of what she might do over Brian Stilfries, uh, what she might do differently than Olivier Coipel, uh, and what she might do differently than, you know, uh, Rico Renzi. It's so different. And I, I feel like if people aren't too familiar with the craft itself, I don't feel like they should be reviewing for comics as a, you know, as a thing to do. Is there any specific genre of comic that you like writing about and talking about? And do you think that that's something that other reviewers and, and writers have where they kind of specialize in special and in, in, in a one specific genre? Yeah, you can definitely tell someone, you know, if you read the review, you can definitely tell if someone is that is their definite forte. You know, you have the noir comics, you have the, you know, the capes, action adventure, you have the fantasy. I love fantasy comics. I love dissecting into good fantasy comics because I'm such a fantasy and sword and sorcery nerd i love i love talking about fantasy books because i don't feel like there's a lot of abundance of them i feel like they there was a rise of them for about a year and a half and then sci-fi kind of took over and sci-fi is everywhere now 
and that's fine. It is just not usually my thing for the most part. I love the, uh, I love those DC and uh, Hanna Barbera crossover books. I love talking about those because I love the Hanna Barbera, like those old, old cartoons. Uh, Green Lantern uh, and Space Ghost crossover was really good, and that was done by James Tynion and Chris Sabella. Was it the Hong Kong Fooey and Black Lightning with a by I think Bilson Kevich did that. I'm trying to remember. I, I like fun stuff like that. I love talking about fun stuff like that. Uh, but if I have to talk about Batman for like six months in a row, I will start to not like Batman. How much of a choice do you get in that kind of thing? Uh, when I was reviewing comics, all the choices, uh, the call sheets were up and then we would pick what we wanted to do. Was there like a series that like everybody at Newsarama wanted to get first dibs to, to talk about? Oh, Saga. Uh, when Saga dropped, that was like the book everyone wanted to talk about. And I actually... I was on Saga for a while, uh, and then I was like, okay, I, I, I can't talk about Saga anymore. When the Power Rangers book dropped, that was another thing, too. So, if I remember correctly, but yeah, those were those were the those were the hot books that I remember uh, really everyone trying to clamoring to get preview PDFs for. Because Image used to do that. Image used to do, um, they had an FTP server that we could access. Uh, now they change it, you know, it's changed completely. They just have a a guy in their PR department just sending out PDFs uh, weekly. But books like Saga and Walking Dead, you had to request specially and had to go through like this whole process after after it was really sort of um, after Saga and Walking Dead became like a really big thing. It was really weird at first. Like, oh, I don't I don't see Saga on the like the FTP and like, oh, uh, no, you have to go through this person now. Like, oh, OK, gotcha. That's probably for like security reasons at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything's watermarked regardless. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, you know, you're the only one who can actually read this now. Like, oh, OK. <laughs> so person who would get to it first be like, oh, gotcha. So one um, thing that I know you like to write about, I've seen you tweet about, and you wrote a whole comic about it, is wrestling. Yeah. And <laughs> and I I've seen a fair share of I don't I've never been a fan of wrestling particularly, uh, but even like like AIPT Comics, who is a sponsor of the competition, they have a whole wrestling section. Like, what what's with the crossover with people who like comics and people who like wrestling? Like, is that just random or is there something? bridging that gap talking about the venn diagram of comics and wrestling people yes i mean you have like you know morality tales you have you know colorful costumes you have it's theater it's theater without superpowers although that's not necessarily true because the undertaker has superpowers to teleport and lightning and fire so we'll you know and then you had you know lucha underground that was insane too so people definitely had superpowers then yeah, it's always kind of been there. It's it's never something that's just sort of like, oh, well, I can see the crossover. I'm like, well, you kind of have to because it's always sort of been there. You know, even, you know, guys like Seth Rollins who makes Thanos-inspired gear or, you know, Johnny Gargano who does Dark Phoenix, Wolverine-inspired gear and stuff like that. So it's always it's always been a it's always been a thing, especially this generation. I think it's you'll see it's definitely been more of an influx. Uh, Leon St. Giovanni, who's the wrestler for Ring of Honor, has an insane amount of like Marvel themed gear. Namor, Colossus, Black Bolt. Black Bolt's kind of like his go to. Uh, Novacore. He has like some really cool Novacore looking gear. But, you know, even even in the 90s, when guys like Raven and WCW would come out with like Doctor Strange or Sandman shirts, it's sort of like, oh shit, he's a nerd. Dope. <laughs> so. 
Uh, and then, you know, he actually ended up writing a comic with Marvel about the origins of a uh, Crusher Hogan, that uh, wrestler that Spider-Man fought um, in the original Spider-Man comic. His name was Crusher Hogan. I mean, I've done panels at C2E2, Dragon Con, New York about this very same thing. So on, on that note, you wrote the, the wrestling, the WWE comic, um, or you were writing. Are you, are you still writing on that series? No, we don't, we, we don't, we don't have the license. So no, um, that my, the last thing that came out was last April. But as a writer of, of comics, I guess I'd like to understand how those two worlds work for you, like writing about comics and actually writing comics. Um, is it just a flipping a switch in your brain or are you... Yeah, it's a completely different hat. It's not just a switch. It's a whole... It's, well, it's not even a hat. It's a whole different wardrobe. Uh, my writing process is convoluted. I think it's convoluted. You know, I'm good friends with you know guys like Snyder and Tom King and you know Cates. And it's just... We always talk process, and I love talking process. And so what I do, let's say, for example... Um, oh, the like a Royal Rumble... Like, uh, God, it was a Royal Rumble special from like two years ago. And, you know, I was assigned, we want you to do the Ric Flair story. You know, we want to make it like 12 pages. I'm like, oh, cool. Dope. Not a problem. So what I would do is take, uh, take a notebook, my Moleskine, and, you know, do page one, page two, page three, like in a lot, like down a page. Uh, I know how I want it to end, and I know how I want it to begin. So I would write an ending and a beginning. Uh, basically, now then going through that line, I'm like, okay, well, what do I kind of want to see out of this? And then I basically write a one-sentence synopsis out of that page. The next page over, I would start blocking it. I would draw a page, draw a page, draw a page, and draw like 10 pages. Then I would thumb them myself and sort of write down, okay, well, I want five panels here. Well, if this is going to be this page, then it has to balance out here. The thing about writing comics, especially how you're you know, laying everything out in panel composition, it's all about real estate. You don't want too much real estate on one page when there's plenty enough room for another page for that. You can break it up. So it's a page isn't too crowded. A page isn't too bare. And you can kind of just make sure there's a nice balance between things. So I never try to break Kirby's rule, which is six panels of a page. And then I'll write a draft and look over it again and, and then make sure just everything's nice and cohesive. What you want, though is kind of have to find this balance between the art and the script. If the art has to elevate the script, it's a bad script. If the script has to elevate the art, it's bad art. But if you can find that balance between they're like, oh, this is really, really good. And yeah, that's that's what I'm always trying to aim for. Now, I've never had that instance of that balance because every artist I've ever worked with has elevated my script exponentially. So I was like, oh shit, yeah, that does look better. Uh, like I love working with Serge Acuna. I love working with uh, Joe Hunter. I love working with Kelly Williams. So anytime I get a page back from those guys specifically or especially, it's always like, oh man, yeah, I can see what I can do here. That's the thing a lot about people is, you, you know, you, you're always learning. And how you can make things better for yourself, how you can make better, you know, things better for your collaborators, how you can make better, better for the product as a whole. So I, I feel like when you feel like you, you can't learn anymore, I feel like that's when you should. On the topic of learning, because you've written, you know, about so many like really good comics and seen the, the good, the bad and the ugly, and you've, you know, interviewed and spoken to so many, you know, well-renowned creators... 
does that affect you when you're writing? Are you thinking like, well, what would this person do? And I don't want to make the mistakes that this other person did, you know, on this yeah. book. A thousand percent. <laughs> a thousand percent. So, because the first story I did was a two-pager. Jason Latour has this thing about, it's not about writing your 100, you know, issue epic. You're, it's about being able, if you can tell a story in, you know, uh, one or two pages. So, and, that, and that's my thing too. I do have this problem of, getting out of control <laughs> when I want to, when I want to write, like, you know, when I'm world building and everything. So I, I, I do have that issue. Uh, so I, I always appreciate my friends when they have to tighten the reins and bring me back in a little bit, but yeah, I always want to, you know, I always look back at like with Scott, Tom and uh, Ron Mars. I love Ron Mars stuff. Uh, what, how they would handle scenes and sort of their, thumbs and compositions and and everything like that yeah i'm always i'm always looking at, i'm always looking to pass uh, you know guys like that for me especially you know i do want to say thanks for being part of the competition and 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 judging i hope uh i'm excited yeah well uh well thank you for having me thank you for letting me be part of this i'm excited and let's uh let's read some good stuff okay do it all right